If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. It may only be December 8th, but people are drafting me, and it's never too early for rankings debates. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stample joined, as always, by Scott White. And there is no chance that I will be the one that's debating Scott on his rankings because I don't have rankings. That means joining us on today's show, the co-owner of Friends with Fantasy Benefits, the creator of the great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. He writes for Fangraphs. You can listen to him on the Sleeper and the, Be- the Bus podcast. Friend of the program, someone we've had on here many times, Justin Mason, what is going on, Justin? How are we doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's uh, nice to see you guys this holiday season. I love how festive Scott is right now. But, but Frank, you're slacking, man. No ranks to debate yet? I got to start doing something because like, I have a bunch of different people's ranks like in Excel sheets, and I got projections going, and I'm starting to draft. And I don't know. like I'm formulating all these opinions. I just kind of like, I got to lay it out. I got to put it all in order. Uh, but don't worry. We're working on it. We're getting in the lab. Some, some things are going to happen. Scott, what's up, man? Doing good. Doing good. I, I like how you, you're you kind of outsourcing contention so you can keep your nice guy image. Oh, yeah. Bringing <laughs> Justin in, who I, I barely know. And now we're just going to argue about, you know, minutia. So that's good. Yeah. That's I, I, again, like, you hit it spot on, Scott, because, like, uh, on top of that, I don't know that I'm going to declare any winners of these debates or anything, like, but... Look, I think it's good for people to hear both sides of, you know, the upside argument, the downside argument. So obviously, I chose a bunch of different players that you guys have ranked uh, very differently. Justin, you mentioned the festivity behind Scott. Um, we talked yesterday about how great he is at gift wrapping. How are you? How, how are you with the wrapping the gifts? You adequate? I, I enjoy it. And okay. I do well enough, but it's sloppy. Uh, it's uh, uh, that, that to say the least. It kind of fits into my my whole persona, I guess. Um, I saw someone on TikTok the other day, like teaching people how to wrap presents in shapes that the present isn't actually in, and so it's like he wrapped like a a, a book into a flamingo. I'm like, I want to learn how to do that. I that's what I need to do. Like, you know, my kid thinks they're getting a bike, and it's like, you know, a 
you know, padded paper or something like that. That's that, that's what I wanted. <laughs> that's awesome. That's like the ultimate Christmas troll job for your kids. <laughs> so, oh man, I, I never heard of that, but uh, I, that definitely sounds like a rabbit hole that I can go down uh, later on. If anyone out there needs a Christmas gift, you can go to uh, Rotoware and, and f- buy a shirt with Justin's face on it because there's like 50 different of them. Uh, also, the shirt that he's wearing right there is from Rotoware. No, they didn't pay me to say that, but. They're good people, and I have a few of their shirts as well. Uh, and I just remembered that Justin's face is like all over their website. Anyway, let's jump right in because I have like 12 different players for us to talk about. And chances are we're not going to get to all of them because that's just what I do on every single podcast. But let's jump right into it. And we'll start at the catcher position. Who doesn't love to talk about catchers? Adley Rutschman, currently ranked as the 10th catcher for Justin Mason, the 20th catcher for our own Scott White, the first overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. I don't think that. Either of you are going to doubt the skills of an Adley Rutschman. I think this really just comes down to playing time, how soon we see Adley Rutschman. But with that, I will turn it over to, let's start with Scott, home court advantage. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if if you could tell me Adley Rutschman is going to be up opening day or within the first couple weeks of the season even, I could get behind drafting him as a number one catcher, but... There's just there's no telling what he's going to be up at this point, and and considering the Orioles aren't competing for anything, it might not be till midseason. It might not be until even later than that. And uh, you know, ranking him twentieth, I feel like is pretty aggressive in its own right because in a two catcher league, that still means I'm recommending somebody draft him. Uh, but in a one catcher league, you know, the idea that you're going to keep him around until he gets called up. Like roster space is just too precious for that and to carry a second catcher who, you know, obviously as good as he is, who knows what kind of impact he makes when he gets called up either. So I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what Justin uh, has to say about it. Frankly, what, what his justification, what Justin's justification is for, uh, for ranking, for ranking Rushman 10th. Well, uh, I'll just point this out. The, the Orioles can still make moves. Uh, they can sign a catcher if they want. But according to roster resource, the two catchers on their roster right now, Brett Cumberland and Cody Roberts, they sound like great fellas. I don't know anything about either one of those guys. I don't know how aggressive they're going to be with Rutschman, but uh, he was amazing in Double in A AA and Triple A this past season. 285, 23 homers, 79 walks to 90 strikeouts. Like His plate discipline's already there. He's awesome. Over 123 games. Justin... How are we feeling about Adley Rutschman? How soon do you think that we see him with the Orioles? I mean, with the way that he just kind of murdered AAA in that 43-game sample uh, to end the year, you have to think that they're going to get aggressive with him. Uh, and this is an Orioles team that needs to put butts in the seat at some point. Uh, I think they're like the smallest market team in Major League Baseball, so it's hard enough for them to make a, you know, a profit in comparison to other teams in the league. <laughs> And this is the fun part about rankings at this time of year, because if we had done this podcast last week, you would have seen Rushman at like 23 or 24 in my catcher ranks. And I moved him up last night uh, because I wrote up catchers and catcher ADP movement uh, for fan drafts yesterday. And I did, did a little bit deeper dive and I went, man, I think he's going to be up is once we know what the CBA looks like, right? This could all change. We were talking about this off air right before the start, right? is we have no idea what the collective bargaining uh, you know, agreement is going to be in terms of service time and whether or not they're going to keep this you know, kind of loophole where teams get this extra year by holding guys down for three to four weeks. Uh, if that's still in place, then he's up. I think right after that, he's one of the first guys up. Um, 
And the problem with the catcher pool in general is it's just blah, right? It's, it's, you get past like the first like five or six guys and it's like, I don't really care. So I'm going to shoot for the moon on a guy like Rushman and hope that I, he comes up early enough. If he doesn't, then, you know, I may have burned myself a little bit, but the difference between him and catcher 20, like Scott has him, you know, what is it like three or four home runs, like, you know, 15 points of batting average. It's really not that big. Yeah. I mean, it, de- it depends how you feel about guys like Mitch Garver and Alejandro mm-hmm. Kirk, who I, I have outside my top 10 still, but uh, you know, there's there's reason to think both of them have considerable upside too, um, yeah, but and, and, they, they, and obviously, if we hear in March, if spring training is unfolding and you you know we really start to get an inkling he's going to make the team, I'll move Rushman way up, and yeah. you know most of my teams that actually matter I'll I'll I'll, I'll rank, uh, we'll we'll have him ranked appropriately, uh, for that scenario. But yeah, I mean, I I kind of I wonder if. Okay, say you draft Rushman 10th as your number one catcher. He's not up at the start of the year. How long do you wait? Like, what do you do in the meantime, having uh, having taken him where you did? I mean, it all depends on the depth of your league, right? If we're talking like a 10-team two-catcher league or a 10-team one-catcher league, like there's a fair amount of replacement value uh, you know, on the market. Uh, when you start getting to the, kind of the deeper leagues, the 15-team leagues, you know, uh, you're, you're kind of just – you know, yeah, you're taking, obviously stashing them there. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're kind of just taking, uh, you know, whatever is available on the wire. I mean, if you're, if you're making the pick, especially considering where he's going to be going in drafts, um, you know, and currently if I can bring him up real quick, his ADP is 197.8 nah, over on actually, the NFBC. That's not a bad price actually. So, but NFBC, that's mostly 15 team leagues. Uh, you know, because the the draft champions are the most popular format right now, with the, along with the NFBC fifties, which are um, twelve team leagues. But those are two catchers, so you're talking like probably twentieth round. It's it's a hard that's a hard decision to make because in NFBC specifically, there is no bench right or there is no like il there's no place to right. stash you've got to right. take that draft it's that bench so spot annoying. so it's, <laughs> it is it's it's really frustrating but it causes yeah. you to make decisions right so if we're talking about like a draft champions league where you've got 50 rounds of picks i'm more likely to go after it. if you're talking about a fab league an fbc fab league where you can't like put him on an il or a minor league slot like you might be able to in a cbs league um, I'm probably less likely to draft him because if, you know, injuries happen like that, we've seen this, I've seen this with a number of my teams in the past where it's like, oh, I'll just stash this guy till May and then May comes and it's like, oh, now my season's over because I lost three or four other guys. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think it's really taking shots on guys like Rushman, largely based on what kind of format you're playing in. Don't look always cater to your league's rule and your format's rules. Steamer has uh, Adley projected for 98 games. Just real quick, uh, what I'll give you guys over under here. Uh, Justin, what do you think? Over 98 games uh, for Adley oh. Rushing? Yeah, I'm going to say over. What do you think, Scott? It, it might be over that many games on the roster, but in terms of being in the lineup, I'll take the under. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I did have a second catcher to debate here, but. 
definitely more interesting players to talk about. So if we have time at the end, we'll get to that one. Uh, but let's just stick around in Baltimore here because the first baseman uh, that you guys differ on is Ryan Mountcastle. He is the seventh first baseman in the ranks for Justin Mason. He is 13th for Scott. And if you remember this past season, Ryan Mountcastle was awful in April. But from May 1st on, 266 batting average, 32 homers, 82 RBI, 853 OPS uh, during that span and hits a decent amount of line drives. Stackhouse data is not great for Mountcastle, but I don't think you really need to impact the ball all that hard when you play in Camden, when you play in the American League East. So, Justin, we'll start with you. Uh, Why so aggressive here on Ryan Mountcastle? Man, all he's ever done through the minor leagues and into the major leagues is hit. And people always pick at things, go, ah, I don't like the exit velocity. I don't think he's a guy who really barrels the ball. But all he does is hit. And one of the things that... I'm really ha- I hammered last year. I'm going to continue to hammer this year. It's positional eligibility, and he's first base and outfield eligible. And you talked about catcher being bad, and catcher is the worst position in fantasy in terms of depth. The next worst one is probably outfield, and so getting that outfield eligibility uh, is is really nice, especially if you're playing in you know 15 team leagues with five outfield slots. You're playing three outfield slots, yeah, outfield's fine, whatever. But in a five outfield slot league. Outfield gets kind of ugly after a little while, and I just love kind of the position he's in in Baltimore. He's going to hit in the middle of that lineup in a really nice park, like you said, against pitchers in the AL East, which I'm not as afraid of. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a big Mount Costa guy. This is probably aggressive, uh, but I, I'm I'm here for it. Do you, you hear think that? outfield's worse than third base? Yeah, I was about I to say, do you, do you hear that knocking? That's that's third base knocking, and they're just here to remind you just how awful that position is. Uh, so talked about it on yesterday's podcast. I actually did wind up with Justin Turner in the 11th round of this draft that I'm doing, which, look, as a fallback it's option right. at third base, I think I'm okay with, right? All things considered there, uh, getting him where I did. But uh, yeah, third base is pretty shallow. I have noticed, though, like, once you get past the top, I don't know, 30, 40, there are outfielders that you can draft, but they're not really impact names, impact bats. Um, so something I've noticed about well, outfielders. And, and, well. the, and the thing with like third base versus outfield is you only have to draft one third baseman. You yeah. might draft a second for True. your CI spot, but you only have to draft one. You have to draft five outfielders. And when you're in like, you know, pick 307 and you're looking at the options there, it, it can make you gag a little. So... Uh, I in the in my early draft so far, I've definitely hammered outfield early on. All right, Scott, you have Ryan Mountcastle down at first, your thirteenth first baseman, uh, considerably lower than Justin. Why is that? Well, I mean, thirteenth at first base. I mean, look, he's still plenty. He, he's plenty usable. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I just I can't get excited about drafting Ryan Mountcastle because, okay, you look at his profile and. It's so home run dependent. And we've mentioned the exit velocity. It's, there's nothing special there. Maybe he'll hit 33 home runs again, but I, I certainly don't think you could count on it. I think t- between 25 and 30 is the more likely scenario from Ryan Mountcastle. And then what else is there? Uh, his plate discipline is horrible. He's in a bad lineup. So relative to the number of home runs he hits, the runs in RBI are both going to suffer. Can he gain ground and batting average? I mean, he, he did hit for average in the minors, but the strikeout rate and just the amount he puts the ball in the air, I'm, I'm not really counting on huge improvement there either. So I, I think bad supporting cast and really the fact there's nothing else going on but power, which itself is maybe not as good as he showed last year. I, I think uh, I, I think I get more excited about 
like a CJ Crone or Reese Hoskins, even like a Josh Bell, than I do Mount Castle. Yeah, that's what I was going to point out. That's basically the the difference between you and Justin. You have a few of those names just ahead of him. I know that obviously, Scott, like you're pretty excited about Joey Votto still. Not that Justin has Votto ranked low. It's you know 12th first baseman off the board. I, I don't I don't think that's bad at all. Uh, early ADP has uh, Ryan Mountcastle currently as the eighth first baseman off the board, one thirteen. Point seven. So uh, some people may be buying that there's another gear, another level for Ryan Mountcastle to get to. Uh, I wanted to quickly mention at first base, Frank Schwindel. I mean, this is a huge disparity. And anyone who listens to the podcast down the stretch this year knows we are huge Frank Schwindel fans. Frankie two hits is what we started calling him towards the end of the season. Just a unique player. 29-year-old journeyman. Uh, got the opportunity to play with the Cubs after everybody was traded away from their team. And he became an everyday player in August. Played 55 games. He had two or more hits in 25 of those 55 games. Like, that is awesome. That That is amazing from Frank Schindel. Uh Scott, you have him as the 17th first baseman. Justin, you have him down as the 30th first baseman. And it's actually pretty interesting because I saw on Twitter uh, some people talking about lofty projections uh, from Steamer on uh, Frank Schwindel. He's currently projected 270, 27 homers, 75 RBI. So that's... That's pretty lofty, I would say, for for a journeyman. Uh, Scott, you get the first word. This is more of like a deeper league, you know, corner infield type bat, but uh, why so much higher on Frank Schwindel? Uh, Frank Schwindel is one of those players that's, of course, very difficult to rank because 29-year-olds getting his first real opportunity in the majors. And I, I think, obviously, you can't take the numbers at face value, but I'm, I'm all, I also have a difficult time dismissing somebody who puts up those kinds of numbers over two months. So, you know, where do you put them? And I I tend to slot those guys, depending on, you know, whether or not I like them or dislike them in a sort of nebulous sense, I, I tend to stick them kind of in between tiers at a position. And and this is where Schwindel lands for me, 17th at the position. That's behind, um, it was behind Mountcastle and Jared Walsh. It's behind Luke Voigt, presuming Luke Voigt is the Yankees' first baseman again. Uh, but it's ahead of guys that I just don't really think are capable of making a big fantasy impact anymore, like Anthony Rizzo, and I have doubts about Trey Mancini. Jonathan Scope's never been that kind of guy. You know, there, there's clear limits to to that trio's upside, I think. So I'd rather... that That's the point where I want to gamble on a guy like Schwindel, who... You know, got stuck in the minors for a long time, but he was a really good hitter there. He he struck out only 15% of the time in the majors. That's a great rate. He's got an up-the-middle approach. It seems like he's really built for batting average, both based on what he did in, in the majors and throughout his minor league career. So I, I do think there might be something here. And uh, that's that's the point where I'm comfortable gambling on it. All right. Yeah, overall, Frank Schwindel hit 326, 14 homers, a 962 OPS over 64 games. You mentioned how much contact he makes. It's just... It's a great mark for him. Uh, 15.8% strikeout rate. Has had a few big seasons in the minors. Reminds me a little bit of Christian Walker a couple years ago. Someone who kept dominating the minors, kind of like a quad A player. Got his opportunity uh, and and was okay for a while. Maybe Frank Spindell can do something similar. But Justin, what do you think? Why so low on Frankie Two Hits? You know what? I'm I'm starting to come around on uh, on. I like how you call him Frankie to it. It's like, <laughs> uh, that's a, Every day, two more hits. That's uh, that's a good nickname. Um, you know, my biggest concern is the Cubs. Like, I, I don't know what the Cubs are doing. 
And are they going to be a team that brings in more talent in the infield as they've been rumored to maybe want to do? And, and does that take away some of Schwindel's playing time? I mean, obviously what he did at the end of the season was amazing. Like it was like out of this world. Like uh, I, I don't understand how he like kept up like a 92% zone contact percentage, uh, which is just elite. Um, yeah, he should be higher in my ranks. I'm going to fix that tonight. When you go and look at my ranks tomorrow, for those of you who subscribe to my Patreon, uh, it will be higher, and you can thank Scott White of CBS. All right. Very All nice. Right. Yeah. We're, that, we're moving the needle here. Uh, that's something that I do appreciate, Justin, that you and Paul do on the Sleeper and the Bus podcast, is like, if one of you guys make good points, Justin's like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to move them up like 10 spots in my rankings. So uh, I can appreciate the transparency and doing and this, that right here on the podcast. This this is why you surround yourself with smart people, right? Like, because <laughs> I, I'm going to have biases in what I do. Like, I'm going to come out and say, oh, this is what I think. And often someone's going to say something to me that maybe I didn't think of, or maybe I wasn't waiting properly. And having those smart people around you kind of help you kind of, you know, fix that. Uh, so I love having these discussions because, you know, by the time we get to the big money drafts in March, I want to have this stuff dialed in. All right. Yeah. You mentioned smart people. I, I would say there's one other smart person on this podcast and and it's not me. So uh, good job, Scott. Chris he, he's talking about you. Uh, Brendan oh. Rogers next up here at the second base position, the 31st second baseman for Justin uh, 15th for Scott in the second base ranks, former third overall pick back in 2015 really has not been able to stay healthy until this past season where he hit 284, 15 homers, 51 RBI over 102 games, Solid strikeout rate, made a decent amount of contact. 20% was the strikeout rate. Don't love how many ground balls that he hit all the way up at 15, uh, 51% there. Had these really weird home road splits that we talked about a ton towards the end of the season. 12 of his 15 home runs coming on the road this past year. So obvious, uh, some obvious regression, hopefully, coming for Brendan Rodgers at home. Justin, we'll let you start this time. Why so much lower on Brendan Rodgers here at second base? I mean, a lot of it has to do with health. Like, I just don't know if this guy's going to stay on the on the field. Uh, and the other part of it is the Rockies, man. Like, the Rockies do some of the dumbest things I've ever seen a professional sports organization do. Like, they just hate on their own, like, young talent and block them and, and sign weird guys to, you know, and I, I just don't trust the organization as a whole. And so the combination of those two things – means I've got to kind of temper my expectations on some of these Rocky guys. Like I, I've been the guy who's been kicking the foot or, you know, Charlie Brown trying to kick the football on Garrett Hampson for years. And at some point your, your butt just hurts too much after falling on it uh, too often. So um, I see the talent. I think there is quite a bit of talent in his bat. Uh, if he stays on the field uh, for a full season, then yeah, playing Colorado, if he's getting the at bats, but those are a lot of ifs and, I don't like to draft with ifs. I like to draft with things I can feel a lot more confident with. Yeah, and the second base position, middle infield in general, is actually pretty good this year too. So th there's, uh, it's a pretty deep talent pool overall there uh, with both of those positions. Uh, currently penciled in as a starting second baseman for the Rockies, as you mentioned. Uh, I agree with you. Like a bunch of the things, you know, go ask uh, John Gray. You know, they didn't trade him away. They didn't give him the qualifying offer. And then, of course, they just let him walk for nothing. So, like, they just make head-scratching decisions all the time. The lineup is kind of bad. Like, let's be honest. If Trevor Story doesn't return, which doesn't look like that's going to happen, if they don't bring anyone else in, this is a pretty bad lineup. Um, overall, I like the talent, but we've we've got to see what else happens here with the Rockies. Uh, Scott, I'm pretty sure I know why yeah. you like him, but let's remind everyone. Well, 
<laughs> I did obsess over Brendan Rodgers down the stretch last season. I mean, I get what you're saying, why you might want to fade Rodgers, but we're 31st at second base. I, I have Right now I have Cesar Hernandez 31st at second base. I have Enrique Hernandez like 24th. That is so low for a guy who's going to play half his games at Coors Field and has an elite prospect pedigree who finally showed signs of life last year, hitting over 280, had an OPS near 800. You know, I, I felt like he should be able to do better still, and I think he will. And you mentioned, Frank, only three of his 15 home runs came at home. That's just bizarre. And I think we'll see a more even distribution this year. Uh, and and while, yeah, I mean, obviously he's proven to be an injury risk over the years, including missing the start of last season. Once he once he got healthy from that hamstring injury, like the Rockies, the Rockies were ready to go with him. They just left him in there. And I while they do tend to make weird moves, I think I think they've settled on Brendan Rogers as their second baseman. Well, if, if not their shortstop now that Trevor Story um, appears to be headed elsewhere. I think there was talk that they might actually put Ryan McMahon at shortstop instead That's of right. Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, yeah I don't know this why is what I'm talking. <laughs> oh I think, gosh! I uh, think in order to keep Rodgers healthy, but like this is what I'm talking about. Like this is an organization I just do not trust. Yeah, I, I did think it was interesting. He did not attempt a single steal this past season. Uh, you know, originally part of his skill set, we thought that you know speed would be a factor there. He dealt with. They talked about it in spring. Yeah, he, yeah. And I, I wonder if he hadn't. I mean, obviously, it was a pretty serious hamstring injury he yeah. suffered, and I wonder if that, you know, if he, if he heads into the season without those concerns, if that might change. Obviously, I'm not counting on steals I mean, for Brendan Rodgers, but he hasn't stolen a base since the minor leagues in 2018. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, uh, no steals from Brendan Rodgers. We're <laughs> we're writing that off. But I think if he lo- if he raises the launch angle a little bit in particular and manages to stay healthy, this is someone who can, you know, if everything breaks right from 280, 20 to 25 home runs uh, out of the middle infield spot, I think, you know, that could be uh, pretty valuable there for one Brendan Rodgers. Let's move on to shortstop here. And Tim Anderson, Mr. Anderson, the fourth shortstop in Justin's rankings, 13th for Scotty. This past season, Tim Anderson hit 309, 17 homers, 94 runs scored, 18 steals. I was a big, big fan of Tim Anderson heading into uh, this past season. And it was mostly because I thought he can be a 2020, maybe push like 25 steals, something like that. Uh, He was fine when he played. Part of his issue is that he he does miss games pretty regularly. Uh, He's missed 89 games over the past three seasons. That's 23 percent of the total games available. Scotty, we will start with you. Uh, Why much lower here on Tim Anderson? Well, obviously, shortstop is a loaded position. We have to start there. Uh, I mean, Tim Anderson should be drafted as a starter even in 12-team leagues. Somebody should be starting one of the 12 shortstops I rank ahead of him somewhere else. You know, (laughs) somebody's going to double up at shortstop there to get him in their lineup. So that's that's the place to start here. But, you know, it's... (laughs) It's always been the case with Tim Anderson that I think people overestimate his power and especially his speed. He's still, to this point, has only one twenty steal season. If he hadn't gotten hurt last year, okay, it would have been a second twenty steal season. But it's not like he's this potential thirty thirty guy. You know, there there are with good health, he, he could be twenty twenty with a good batting average, and, and again, that's valuable. He doesn't get on base much otherwise. Bad on base skills, um, but I, you know, he just doesn't have that peak 
skill set that so many shortstops have where they can really dominate a category. And maybe maybe you could make the case that some is greater than the whole or I don't think I said that right, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know people make that argument with Ozzy Albies too. And uh, okay, fair enough. But when you factor in the injury risk for Anderson, the fact that he's um, not on base a ton, even with that high batting average, the fact that he needs this crazy outlier Babbitt to sustain that high batting average, I just I don't think he's a standout at a position full of standouts. Yeah, I, I think that part that you mentioned about, I guess it would be his parts are greater than the, the, the sum. Some of all the parts are greater than the whole. Yeah. Yes, what Justin said. That's exactly why we brought him on the podcast because I knew that that was going to happen at some point. But I, when you actually think about it, if Tim Anderson could stay healthy for 140 plus games, he should go 2020. He's hit over 300 each of the past three seasons. That's valuable. And he's leading off for one of the best lineups in the game. So he could theoretically score 100 runs as well. So I think you're right, Scott. Like, it, it's not like some crazy upside that he has, but it's just like you put all those things together and that's, that's a pretty damn valuable player. So uh, Justin, I think we pretty much just made the case for you, but yeah, uh, I think you did. I mean, (laughs) it's it's five category production, but what Scott is saying is true. Like this is the deepest position in fantasy. Like, so like if you rank him 13, there are 14 shortstops going in the top 100 of NFBC drafts right now. Like, like the yeah, difference between 4th and 13th really isn't as it would be maybe at another position. Um, I like Tim Anderson because you're getting power, you're getting speed, and you can then build your team in a lot of different directions after you take him. But I I, I don't have like – like I'm not going to like go at Scott like, hey, what are you doing? Tim Anderson's 4th overall. Come on. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, no, it's you kind can't of a do preference that. thing. So, yeah. so like why would you – why do you prefer Tim Anderson to? I mean, I assume you have Trevor Story ranked lower than fourth at shortstop. I, I do. I think I have him like fifth or sixth. Um, I don't know where Story's land, landing. Yeah, like, I mean that. I, that obviously is hangs. he will probably jump over him as long as he doesn't end up in a place it's like uh, a park that's bad. But until I know exactly where, I can't pull the trigger. Yeah, you know, I'm, over, I'm not over. worried about. I'm not worried about like a Coors hangover or anything like that. I think that kind of stuff's overblown. Over somebody like Bogarts, you're just thinking, okay, Anderson's going to give me some steals and Bogarts probably won't. Yeah, pretty much. And I like Bogarts a lot. I think I have Bogarts sixth or seventh uh, in my ranks. Uh, let's see. I have here, I have Bogarts fifth. So I have Anderson four, Bogarts five, story six. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I like Bogarts a ton. I, I like the fact that he he has stole or shown the ability to steal bases uh, too. But it's a I think a little bit more fluky the stolen base numbers with Bogarts than it yeah. is. The guy yeah, like I don't Anderson. count on many from Bogarts. Yeah, maybe we get something like six to eight steals. I think for Xander Bogarts, obviously a solid batting average, homers, really good counting stats from him. Uh, I think it's just like do, a preference do, of how you want to build your team. Do you have Wander Franco ahead of Tim Anderson? I do not. I have Wander Franco 11th. Wow, that might be the lowest I've heard. Yeah, I am not a big... like. I think Wander Franco is going to be a really, really, really great Major League Baseball player. Um, And I think he's going to be a really good fantasy player in the long term. I don't know that he's there yet. I think really what he is is a flashier, younger version of D.J. LeMahieu, who I can get like 60 picks later right now 
Um, and DJ LeMayhew is eligible at first, second, and third base, where Wander Franco is eligible at short. Now, that may be a little bit hyperbolic, uh, but we're talking about a guy who's, what, 20? Like, I can't take him in the third round of a 15-teamer right now, and that's where he's going. Yeah, yeah it's it's higher than I'd take him, for sure. I have him eighth at shortstop, and yeah, I mean, some people have him in their top five, so I... I agree. You're just going further with it than I'm going, but it it does kind of sound like, and and we're kind of, you know, one question is leading to another at this point. It does kind of sound like you're counting on a pretty big bounce back from DJ LeMay here by making that comparison. I think so. I mean, uh, you know, I I know like he fell off this year, but uh, I, I just, I believe the track record with him. I really do. I don't think this is the end of him. He's in a really, really great lineup uh, when that lineup is, somewhat healthy uh, should, should score a ton of runs and the triple eligibility, man, like I said before, I'm pounding eligibility once again, because we saw the amount of injuries over the course of the 2021 season, over the course of the 2019 season, 2020 season. Um, and especially if you're an NFBC player like me, having these guys who can kind of fill a lot of different spots when you don't have an IL, it's huge. Yeah, Scott, you're asking all the right questions, so I think I might just leave and just let you host the rest of this thing. But uh, no, I I think it's all fair points that you made there. Uh, LeMahieu, by the way, dealt with a core injury this past season. They didn't really tell us when it started. I mean, he could have been playing with it for you know, half the season. We just don't know. He did have a sports hernia surgery right after the season ended, so that's worth noting there on LeMahieu. And as for uh, Wanda Franco, he is... You're right, 20 years old. He, he's like, this guy can't even drink spiked eggnog for Christmas. Like, what's going on, man? Um, and he doesn't turn 21 until March. So he's still young. And I, I don't know if the power is going to be there right away. I don't know if the speed's going to be there right away. But if he, you know, grows into it soon, then we could see. Like, there's just no, there's no limit for how good he can yeah. be. Yeah. Um, Justin, you're like, his ADP has been like the three, four turn so far of, of 15 teamers. The first draft that I've done... I got him at the end of the fifth round. I actually yep. set his max pick at, at pick 70. So I saw him there. I didn't really think twice about it. I'm just like, this is the latest he's been around. I, I really would like to have a share of Wander Franco. I'm just going to take him. I, I didn't really think twice about it. So, yeah. Yeah. To that point, like, I guess it's it's not a bad gamble to take, I guess. I just, even there, I don't know that I, I mean, if he ends up hitting like, 280 with 16 home runs and like a hand, you know, three or four stolen bases, you're going to be kicking yourself, taking them in the fifth or sixth round. Like, and I think that's a reasonable, you know, projection. It's conservative, but it's also reasonable because it's not an easy park necessarily to hit in, right? Tampa Bay. We saw this with Willie Adamas when he, he leaves uh, and goes to Milwaukee and just tears the cover off the ball because that batting eye in Tampa Bay. Uh, he's young. Pitchers are now going to get, you know, he's going to have to see pitchers again, you know, and, and see if he can catch up to him. I got I, I think he's going to be good. Like, I, I really do think he's going to be, like, I don't think this contract he signed is going to be a bust at all. I think this is going to end up working out really, really well for the Rays uh, and him as well. He's getting $180 million. Like, that's never a bad thing uh, to get that kind of money. But at the same time, like, fantasy goodness and real-life goodness are two different things. I don't think we talk about it enough in the industry. Definitely could happen for Wander Franco. I definitely see it. Uh, I'm just, I'm hoping he turns into a second-year Juan Soto. That would be absolutely ridiculous. There's been like so many comps between those two, but like 
Juan Soto is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Uh, it's it's a pretty big ask of Wander Franco this early in his career. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Cabrian Hayes. Scott already turned his back on him. We'll talk about it next here. Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, so let's talk about Brian Hayes. He is 11th in Justin's third base ranks. He is 19th for Scott. Talked about it. A lot, enough already today as well. Third base is a is quite a bad position. He was the player that Scott loved on Valentine's Day. So maybe we should just hand that off to Justin Mason. And Justin, we will let you kick us off. Why do you like Cabrian Hayes so much? Uh, I mean, this is this may end up turning out to be like a bad relationship for me because I, I was uh, one of the people who loved him a, a lot coming into last year as well. And he got hurt and uh, kind of ruined uh, probably 13 of my 29 teams uh, when he wasn't wasn't playing for me. But um, I just love the skill set. I, I still believe that this is an Anthony like early career Anthony Rendon profile. Um, and that's a guy who was like a borderline, borderline first round pick, uh, when he was early on in his career. So, you know, we're talking about a guy who can probably at 25, maybe even more home runs, uh, double just stolen bases with a good batting average. Is it going to happen? Maybe not. But like you said, like once you get past those like first five or six third basemen, it's kind of a mess. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of just kind of cherry picking, uh, the guys you like and Hayes is one of the guys I really like. Yeah. So the top nine rounds out with Chris Bryant, Alex Bregman and Anthony Rendon right now in ADP. And, uh, once you get past that, you get LeMahieu, you get Cabrian Hayes, you all Moncada. So really you want to try and get one of those top nine, I would say. Uh, and I think you're spot on the, the comp that we made last year or I made, with him was uh, Anthony Rendon. Like that's the ceiling if Cabrian Hayes could get there because I feel like the skill set is very similar for reasons that you laid out. Uh, but now it's just a matter of him, I guess, bouncing back in terms of health and putting it all together. I, I don't know that it's actually going to happen, but there is a chance uh, given that prospect pedigree. Scotty, where are we at on Cabrian Hayes? Yeah, so I mean, I definitely can still see foresee a scenario where Brian Hayes ends up being a top 12 third baseman in fantasy. And I, I, I definitely think there's something to kind of the blind faith pick when you don't know where else to turn and third base is weak. So I can all, I can almost get it, but you know, taking them 11th at the position means you're passing up guys like Matt Chapman and, 
and Johan Moncada, who we've seen do it before at the major league level. And I, I, I don't think those are blind faith picks. I mean, obviously you're, 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 you're gambling that they'll bounce back, but um, with more assurances, I think that Brian Hayes has to offer. I mean, the biggest thing for me is just that you mentioned it hurt all those teams where you drafted Hayes when he wasn't in your lineup. It hurt when he was in your lineup too. There was nothing redeeming about Brian Hayes' stat line last year. It was just a total lost season. And maybe it was because he was still feeling the after effects of that hand injury. That that certainly could be it. But, you know, you, you compare what happened last year, you look at his minor league track record, which is mostly uninspiring. That's what made that 2020 emergence so surprising. And so you're really basing a lot on, you know, just that couple weeks of playing time in 2020. Um, when, uh, y- you know, and, and when there's a lot bigger sample last year, that shows a lot less. So, yeah, I just, I, I can see Hayes as like a late round, you know, flyer for your corner infield spot, pre- preferably for your bench. But to draft him as my starting third baseman, I just think that's too much faith for me. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of people that still have that faith, Scott, because the early ADP is 147.7. It, when you're doing that, you're being drafted as a borderline starter at third base, and and if not, definitely as a as a corner infielder in a five by five roto league. So I think people are still kind of holding on to that prospect pedigree and and the hope for upside with him. I, I got to tell you, Justin's rankings here match up with early ADP a lot better than mine do so far. Well, yeah, that's because everyone's drafting off Justin's rankings. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be it. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Uh, All right, let's move on to the outfield. And we're saving the the best for last year. We got some some heavy hitters here. And uh, Mike Trout, currently 12th in Justin's outfield ranks. He is fifth for Scott. Uh, And we talked about recently when we did the the outfield um, review from this past season and and an early look at Scott's rankings. the injury that from this past year was just like super fluky with Mike Trout diagnosed with that calf strain in mid-May given a six to eight week timeline uh, and then wound up missing the entire season just didn't return didn't really make sense for them once they get to August and they're basically out of it at that point it's like why rush back you know one of the best players on the planet but even with that he's missed time before this I mean since the start of 2017 he's missed 33 percent of his games uh, to injury even if you take out this past season from 2017 to 2020, he missed 19% of his games. That's still, you know, a pretty pretty decent margin. That's one fifth of the games available to him. So, uh, Scott, you can lay out the argument here, uh, the pro argument for Mike Trout. I don't, I don't know that you need to say much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for like a decade, people, for for a decade, I've abided by the saying underestimate Mike Trout at your own peril. And last year was the first year that that was proven incorrect because of that calf injury. I mean, obviously before then he was still Mike Trout. He had 333 at a 1090 OPS. He was amazing. And I still think when he's on the field, there's no bat that I, I project better numbers for than Mike Trout. He doesn't run anymore. So, you know, it's fair not to have him as the number one outfielder anymore. Uh, I, I think you could even make a compelling case not to draft him in the first round. But, you know, the the only case for that is because you're still worried about the calf. And I just don't think, like, it was, it was incredulous. 
I was incredulous that he would miss even the rest of the first half when the injury happened, much less the rest of the season. And then after an off season of rest on top of it, like that can't still be an issue going into next year. If it is, we'll know pretty early and I'll adjust obviously before I draft my teams. But right now I have no reason to believe that's going to be an issue. Yeah. I did find this quote from an article over on the athletic in late September where Trout said that he was close to 100% at that point. He also said, once I talked to the trainers and talked to the front office and made the decision to shut it down, I kind of took a little bit of time off and then I started doing things again. I started running. I started working out. I'm feeling great. I don't feel it at all. He said that uh, towards the end of September, we'll see if he actually means it by the time we get closer to uh, spring training, obviously. Justin, is this just solely about the injuries or is there anything else you're worried about with Trout? I mean, it's mostly about the injuries. I agree with Scott. Like when he, when you're talking about like a per game, you know, production, like, I mean, he's still one of the greatest players in major league baseball. Um, That being said, he also doesn't run. You mentioned this already, Frank. Uh, You know, I don't think that part of his game's coming back. So it kind of depends on what you value coming in. And uh, if he is in fact healthy, as we start getting to pitchers and catchers reporting and, March, uh, he probably bump up my ranks, you know, three or four spots, but uh, maybe even into the top five. But I, I don't know that I'm going to get him up there where he used to be because speed's not a part of his game anymore. Like that is a huge part of the fantasy game is if you're not getting speed in your first few rounds, it's hard to get it later on. And so if you're playing in a roto format, obviously points league, it's, it's, it's different. It can bump him back up a little bit more. Uh, but in, in a roto format where you need those stolen bases, it hurts that he doesn't get them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would still argue that he is a borderline first round pick uh, probably very firmly in the first round in a points league, just given his his plate discipline and his ability to walk still and and everything else that he does. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like he's probably not going to run much. And the last time we saw him over a full season, not even a full season, was 2019, 134 games. He stole 11 bases, so he's not a zero, but you know he's not going to contribute the the same number of steals that other players in that range are going to provide. All right. Uh, well, let's continue in the outfield here with uh, Randy Rosarena, who, Justin, you have as your 18th ranked outfielder. Scott has down as his 27th outfielder. And I mentioned that I took him in the fourth round of this draft that I'm in right now. 15-team league. Obviously provides some speed there. Uh, and I took Jose Altuve in the sixth round. And Scott said yesterday, well, maybe those names should be swapped. Maybe Altuve should be the one going in the fourth and, and uh, Rosarena is the one that should be going in the sixth round, something like that. So um, overall, it was a good year for him. 20 homers, 20 steals. I noticed he was amazing against lefties. He was just kind of mad against righties. So it's something that is in the back of your mind with the Tampa Bay Rays because you know they find ways to platoon guys all over the place. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like if it comes to a, po- a point where like we're two months into the season and he's just really bad against righties, it's something that actually could happen. Uh, we saw it with Austin Meadows this past season from the other side of the plate. So, uh, Justin, I will let you make the case for Randy Rosarena first. I mean, I don't know what case needs to be made. Yeah, I mean, the Rays are the Rays, uh, and they do screw around with us every once in a while. I don't know that they're going to do it with him. They can't do it with everybody. You only have so many bench hitters on your actual MLB 26-man uh, roster. Uh, and dude went 2020. Like, that's great and he did it with a good average it's not like a 2020 with a 220 batting average like he did it with a you know a, a you know a very good batting average um i still think he has uh an elite ability to recognize pitches 
Uh, I do think that 20 stolen bases is probably, you know, where he should be. But I think there is more power in that bat. We saw it in the postseason, saw it at the end of 2020, um, and his ability to recognize those pitches out of a, a pitcher's hand, uh, I think at some point may translate into even more uh, power at some point. So um, do I think we have to get more to, you know, kind of uh, justify this draft slot or where I've got him in my ranks? No, but I think there is more in there. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, if he if he comes close to his projections here, 258, 25 homers, 19 steals, you probably want a little bit better batting average, but I think most people would be all right with, with getting that out of a Rosa Reina. He's one of these launch angle guys, too, where he hits a lot of ground balls, and if he learned how to uh, raise that launch angle a little bit more, then we could see even more power uh, out of him, more than the 20 home runs that we saw this past season. Uh, Scott, you know, I, look, the strikeout's not great for him. The stack-ass number's uh, not great, but... He's kind of like one of these weird players that can just outperform those numbers because he's such a freak athlete, I guess. Um, well, maybe. So, yeah. I mean, we obviously don't have a long track record of that. It's kind of... It, Rosarena kind of has a little bit of a Javier Baez thing going on where to be what he is, he relies on being an outlier in like BABIP, 363 BABIP mm-hmm. last year. And while... You know, we've seen Baez do that year after year, and yet I still don't trust it completely. So I'm, I'm definitely not trusting of a Rosarena after one full season of that. Um, so, you know, it sounds like Justin's hopeful of some improvement even from a Rosarena. I, I'm fearful of him taking a step back. And apart from the steals, you know, him having 20 steals last year, you know, it's not a standout in anything else. It's nice to get some power from a steals guy. It's nice to get some runs from a steals guy. That's all nice, but like one of my one of the one of the things I'm trying to be intentional about in Roto League specifically is not not being intentional about stolen bases because like it just it just felt I just felt like it put me in so much trouble in everything else. And that's that's a stat that you don't need that much of it to finish like eighth place in the category. It's not like a true punting of steals if I happen to get you know, a Bo Bichette in round one or whatever, I'm not going to turn it down because he does so much else too. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to elevate somebody who's hurting me in other areas. You know, you can get power, a lot more power in that area uh, than you're going to get from Rosa Reina, a lot more RBI. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm willing to pass up the 20 steals and take some other outfielders instead. All right. Uh, Randy Rosarena's ADP right now is 57.4. He's going just ahead of Nick Castellanos, someone who could be a true four-category contributor. We'll see uh, where he winds up in free agency. Eloy Jimenez could be another similar player like that. Uh, Dropping down a little bit more. Byron Buxton, eh, probably a similar player to a Rosarena. You know, the upside's probably even higher, but of course, a ton of injury risk there with with Byron Buxton. Buxton more, yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, last thing on outfield here. We're not going to debate another player, but Justin, you're wearing the Cedric Mullins shirt here. And anyone who's listened to you before knows that you were all over Cedric Mullins last year. So kudos to you. Someone who had an ADP outside of the top 400, 500 goes 30, mm-hmm. 30, just a truly spectacular call on your part. Vlad Sedler, someone we've had on this podcast before, uh, does great work. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Roto gut. He, ha- he does this, uh, this year's Chris, Trish- Christian Yelich every year. So, uh, like, we're starting to make, like, let's do this. Let, let's let's make the branding right now. Let's make this happen. Do you have any thoughts on who this year's Cedric Mullins could be? 
I'm, I'm, I'm getting some crap talked to me by my co-host, Paul Spore, <laughs> because I, I refuse to, like, really name someone, right? Because I was I was talking with you guys before we started. It's like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime call. Like, it's, you know, <laughs> like, take a guy who's, you know, who started outside, like, the top 500 picks uh, when we started drafts this time last year, um, eventually made his way, like, right around pick 300, kind of in the main event areas and stuff. Like, I mean, in my own TGFBI draft, he went undrafted like that, you know, I mean, and that was what early March. Right. So mm-hmm. deeply. I'm, yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm never going to get another call like this where a guy goes 30, 30. There are just aren't guys who produce like that level. And he, I mean, he outperformed what I thought he was going to do. Um, and so people are going to, I know people are going to ask me who's, who's this year, Cedric Mullins. There is no this year, Cedric Mullins. Right. But if I'm going to give you a guy, you know, you know, I want to identify some of the things that I saw in Cedric Mullins, one namely lineup spot, right? He was leading off at the end of 2020 um, in what people thought was going to be a a crowded outfield in Baltimore with Austin Hayes and DJ Stewart, but they kept rolling him out there, right? The team had a lot of faith in him. Um, A guy that I, you know, I knew he had speed, but I thought there's a little bit more pop. So if I give you the 2022 Cedric Mullins, it's going to be on another crappy team, a guy who's leading off at the end of the season, Cole Tucker, who is <laughs> shortstop eligible in FBC, but in some leagues, he's got eligibility all over the, the place. Um, Cole Tucker, could he be? He's a guy I am targeting late, late in drafts. Like currently, let's see, currently going pick 659 in NFBC. <laughs> He's on the Pirates, by the way. Yeah, I know. Like I said, he's on another. I'm not really telling bad you. Team. I'm telling yeah. the audience because yeah, that's yeah. not a name they've probably heard a lot. But no, people weren't talking about Cedric Mullins. So yeah. these are the guys, like right. He was leading off for the Pirates at the end of the year last season, showing, giving them, a, you know, showing a little bit of faith for him. Uh, we, he's a former prospect of note. Remember Fabapalooza a few years ago when he came up and everybody threw hundreds of dollars at Fab. He's got a little pop. He's got some speed. He's got cool hair. <laughs> Cole Tucker, baby. Yeah. That, that, that is this year's Cedric Mullins, though there won't be one. All right. Uh, I, look, the guy definitely has cool hair. That There's no doubt about that. So he's got that going for him. Looking at the minor league numbers, definitely has some really, really big uh, steal seasons there. So the speed is legit. And I remember when he came up, there, there was uh, some fanfare, some excitement about him. So... Uh, in the deepest of leagues, for those playing in NL only, a name to remember there for you, Cole Tucker. Uh, Justin, I'm just going to submit my own two names here. Definitely not as deep as Cole Tucker. Lane Thomas with the Washington Nationals. Yeah, like, one. All over it, leading off for them down a stretch. Showed us some power, some speed. I think he's going inside the top 300, so like definitely not uh, that late. But yeah, his 275 is his ADP. Uh, and then Connor Joe is the other one. I don't know if the Rockies are going to make other moves, but he was leading off for them, and and he was performing. So uh, I, I do like Connor Joe. I don't I don't know how much yeah, speed he's. That, that was a name I thought of too. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. All right, so. both are really good calls. I mean, yeah. you know, these are guys that uh, are going to be undervalued. Late Thomas is getting a little bit of fanfare, but I, I like the call uh, there too. Getting the bat in front of uh, Juan Soto is never a bad spot. So. <laughs> All right, so I had three starting pitchers to talk about. We got like five minutes left in the podcast. I'm going to choose the one that has the biggest disparity in your rankings, and he's someone we haven't really talked about much so far here in the offseason, and that is Trevor Rogers, who Justin has 22nd in his starting pitcher ranks. Scott has down at 46 
at starting pitcher. And it was a really good first full season for Trevor Rogers. 264 ERA, 115 whip, 157 strikeouts over 133 innings pitched. 14% swinging strike rate. I mean, that is an elite mark for Trevor Rogers. The fastball velo jumped about one mile per hour. Changeup was amazing for him. Uh, I think the slider could be a really good pitch. The usage on that pitch kind of fluctuated throughout the course of the season. I remember that. It was first month or two, he was using it like 15 to 20% of the time. Then he dialed it back. So we're see, we'll see where he settles in with that pitch ultimately. But man, Trevor Rogers, when he was healthy and he was going... He was really, really damn good. So, Scott, uh, why so low here on Trevor Rogers? Down at the bottom of the blob. Yeah, I I got some pushback for this on Twitter uh, when I first released my top 55 at starting pitchers, what it ended up being. And, you know, I went and looked at the numbers again. You look at those season numbers, and it's like, wow, that was an amazing rookie season. 264 ARA, 10.6K per nine. Why would I be so low on that guy? And I worry that maybe I'm my analysis is be, I'm being a little too granular with my analysis here instead of just accepting the numbers as what they are. But like Trevor Rogers, it was we saw two very different versions of Trevor Rogers last year. Um, through Junie was amazing. First three months, basically an ace, and then the final two months that we saw him pitch, there was an injury in August, so it was July and September. Not so awesome. He had a 376 ERA. Uh, the whip was, it was like, it was, it was near 1.5. His swinging strike rate went from about 16% to about 11%. Um, and, you know, obviously there are, he, he's still building up workload on top of it all. So I, I, he didn't leave a good taste in my mouth. He, he made me second guess what I saw early in the season. He's on a bad team. And I just, I don't know quite what I'm getting from Trevor Rogers. Now we talked about the blob before at starting pitcher where in my own rankings, it, it comes out to number 31 to number 55. I'm just really not sure what order to rank them. Trevor Rogers is right in the middle there at 46. Uh, I'm not going to be able to rank him as high as you have him, Justin, but I could be talked into moving him closer to 30. Let's do that. Let, well, let's, yeah, let's yeah, do that. We'll, we'll talk me into it. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, yes, he did definitely struggled in July. Uh, but you have to wonder, like, how much of those struggles in July had to do with the injury that he ended up missing pretty much all of August for, right? Because when he comes back from uh, the injury in September, even when the Marlins aren't really, you know, they're not competing, he – goes and throws like a three, what, 352 ERA and has a 10 strikeout performance in one of those five starts in September. He pitches a really, really nice ballpark in a great division in the NL East, the NL East where the world champs are. Uh, and I think that this is a guy that um, they're going to let go. If he's healthy, which he showed at the end of the season that he is, right? The Marlins are a team that lets their pitchers pitch. And... Uh. We've seen it with Alcantara. We've seen it, you know, a little bit with Pablo Lopez. I think we're going to see it with uh, with, with uh, uh, Rogers here, uh, as long as they don't trade him, because I do think that at some point they're going to trade uh, a starter here for a hitter um, at some point, because they, they need to do another Zach Gallen for for Chisholm kind of deal. So if, if Rogers isn't the guy, and I'm thinking because he's the lefty, 
that he likely won't be the guy they'll try to keep the lefty. Uh, and it might be like Pablo Lopez uh, instead. Uh, that I think Rogers is, yeah, I think he's a top twenty-five starter this year. Mm, couple, couple counterpoints. All right. To bring up. You you pointed out he had a three fifty-two ERA in September. Relative to his two sixty-four season ERA, that's still way high. I, I still don't, I don't I don't know that that I don't know that I view that as a plus. Uh, and Trevor Rogers, it's not bad though. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Forty-six he, he, starting pitcher off the board is also fine. Um. The other thing is that you're saying you you think the Marlins are going to let him go. He didn't go six innings in any of his last 11 starts. And a lot of those were less than five innings as well. So, like, there's that issue, too. So, you know. Early in the season, when he was healthy, when he was rolling, they let him go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, he he was going six, seven innings and starts because that's what they do as an organization. This is an organization that clearly subscribes to the bullets theory, right? They want to get those bullets. They they only, they know that guys only have so many bullets in their arm. They're going to let them throw it, let them go deep into games. This is not an organization that babies their starting pitchers. Um, And so, uh, you know, even when like Sixto, when Sixto, before Sixto got hurt, like they were letting him go six, seven innings into games. That ended up being the wrong decision, but they haven't changed what they've done. And, you know, guys like Alcantara, guys like Pablo Lopez have shown that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you that I think partially why he wasn't why he wasn't going deeper into starts later in the season. A, obviously, you know, he wasn't as efficient. And B, I, I thought that he was starting to wear down a little bit. So I don't remember exactly I know he was dealing with like a personal issue that he was away yeah, from the there team was a for fam- some time. There was a family issue as well that made him miss time. Yeah, so that was part of it. I think if you just look at the projections at face value right now from Steamer, 343 ERA, 120 whip, over 10 Ks per nine, over the course of 154 innings, that's a really good starting pitch. Like that's probably closer to a top 30 starting pitcher. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, I see those numbers and have a very different reaction to them. Uh, an ad- Kind of, kind of an average fantasy era mid threes. Kind of a below average fantasy whip. There, you said one point two mm, over. I mean, that's kind of average. Less than over less than you know one hundred fifty in over one hundred fifty innings is not like a, a big workload. So, I don't know. To me, that's a pretty middling pitcher. I, maybe middling is is a downgrading a cool. it. Like, so it, I just, it, it, it makes him a fine number three or number four starter in fantasy, which is how I have him ranked. I just ran just real quickly through the auction calculator over at Fangraphs, the steamer uh, projections, and Rogers comes out as the number twentieth starting pitcher in okay. terms of dollar values based on those projections. Okay. So okay. I may I, I think maybe this is a, a situation in which you saw such amazing eliteness from him in the first half, and you're going like, I want that. That's mm-hmm. what I should be getting. And sure, you know. It, what he did still puts him up as like. Where a top do you have Tyler starter. Malley? Because it sounds like you're 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 pitching Tyler Malley stats at me. And like, I do like Tyler Malley. <laughs> 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 uh, let's see. I've got. Let's see. Malley. I have thirty fourth. Okay. All right. So I don't know if we split the difference and we put Trevor Rogers somewhere in the middle there. He, he probably would come out you know, right around uh, starting pitcher thirty fourth. So uh, agree, agree to disagree, but. Um, I think I'm closer to Justin just because I have Trevor <laughs> Rogers in the dynasty league, the Scott white dynasty league. Uh, and I kind of just need him to be awesome. So I'm rooting for him. I, I hope he is awesome. Let's go. We are going to wrap there again. 
Justin Mason. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB, co-owner of Friends with Fantasy Benefits, creator of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. You can listen to him over on the Sleeper and the Bus podcast. Uh, Justin, thank you for coming on. And I also want to thank your wife for allowing you to be here. Of course, my, my wife, uh, you know, I, I'll pay for this later, but she she loves you guys. Uh, and she appreciate uh, she appreciates you guys. Let me come on. Yes. Thank you once again. Uh, all right. So we are going to wrap there for Scott and Justin. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. This will be our last podcast of the week. We, we will be back again next Tuesday. Bye bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.